Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Highland Park Baptist Church. The preaching and teaching ministry of Highland Park is led by our pastor, Dr. Jeremy Wallace. Our desire is to help you grow in your faith so that you can better glorify God, make disciples, and love others. To learn more, visit us at hpbc.church. Now, here's this week's message. Go ahead and open your Bibles today to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. We'll look at Isaiah chapter 45 as we go to God's Word this morning. The kids always have so much fun when they leave that one Sunday I'm tempted just to follow them back there and find out what's going, and you folks can just do whatever you want to do, all right? But they, they look more excited going back to what they're doing than sometimes we do up here in the auditorium. Uh, I understand that you've been having a mission emphasis all month long, and I am grateful that you do that because the, the importance of the Great Commission for the church is such that we cannot overlook it, even though... The Great Commission, as we call it the Great Commission, was given to us 2,000 years ago. Uh, we still have a lot of work to do. In fact, with the population increase of the world, there's more work to do than ever before. We're thankful for the missionary work that has been accomplished, but we dare not quit right yet. And so uh, I'm grateful for the missionary emphasis that you are having uh, this month. In regard to the mission trip opportunities, we've had just a variety of ages. We've done a lot of groups with the young people, but a lot of adults also go with us. And lately, it's been primarily adults that go on these teams. And you say, well, how, how old is too old? And I've had people in their 70s that have went, gone with me on mission trips. And so uh, we really don't put an age limit on it. And uh, we would love to have some of you uh, talk about this uh, with us. And after church, if you'd like to ask me some questions about uh, a mission trip to Yucatan or maybe even anywhere else or somewhere else, uh, then we would uh, be glad to speak to you. I do say this, if there's anybody here in the medical profession or if you are a physical therapist, I would like to talk to you about an opportunity in two different other places, one being in the Dominican Republic and the other in the country of Brazil, if you would like to... Uh, be involved in that. For the therapist, we have a disability ministry in Brazil, and it's a really neat opportunity, really neat ministry, and so we have need people with specific skill sets to go to that place. Isaiah chapter 45, I want to read to you this morning verses 5 and 6. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. The Great Commission, I said a moment ago, was given to us 2,000 years ago by Jesus Christ. But in God's plan of global redemption, his missionary vision began from the very beginning. Uh, missions did not start in the New Testament. We go to the Old Testament and we still find God's heart, God's desire, and God's command for us to be a witness to the world. And I like what the prophet Isaiah is saying here as the Lord speaks through him. And he tells us in verse 6 that people may know from the rising of the sun and to the west where it sets, all the people covered in this great geographical area need to hear about Jesus Christ and need to know about salvation. This is a very interesting time in the, in the history of Israel. Babylon had destroyed Jerusalem and taken many Jews captive. 
Now Cyrus, the king of Persia, would conquer Babylon and help the Jews restore Jerusalem. This was a time of great political turmoil and change. And through it all, God never lost control of what was happening in the world. He has never lost control. God is still sovereign. He is still in control. We are also living today in a time of great turmoil. A lot of change has taken place not only around the world, but in our own nation. In fact, those of us in our generation would say, uh, that we have lived would say that there is more division in our country, less unity in our country today than ever before in our lifetime. But through it all, God's plan will still be carried out. No matter what human beings are doing, no matter what mankind does, God is still in control. And the fact that there is a lack of diversity in our country today means that the church has a tremendous opportunity to reach the world with the real solution, and that solution is Jesus Christ. In these two verses that we've read, there's something that we need to realize about reaching the world. And I want you to notice a couple of things with me today. But global evangelism is God's plan. We, we often get to the point where we think, well, here we are in our area of the world. We live here in Charleston, South Carolina, and this is our part of the world. And it is part of the Great Commission, but the Great Commission does not stop at the city limits. We are ultimately to reach the entire world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus spoke to the church, he gave that commission to the church, to you and I. So 2,000 years later, we still have the responsibility of sharing the gospel message. Missions is not an option for the church. It is a mandate. For those of you who go to school, once you get to a higher level of education, you have those courses that are electives. And boy, when you get to that point where you say, okay, to get my degree, I get to have some electives. That's a good feeling because there are certain topics you take because you have to and you may detest that subject, but there are the topics that you enjoy taking and that's your choice. Well, let me tell you something. When it comes to the Great Commission, it is not an elective for the church. It is a mandate. And every local church has the awesome responsibility of reaching the world with a gospel message. I want you to notice, first of all, in verse 5, that there is a singular message we have for the world. And God speaks through Isaiah, and Isaiah proclaims into his people, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. There was just one God, that singular God. Israel had to be reminded of this as they had been affected by the worldliness of the polytheistic societies around them. And there was a great contrast between polytheism and monotheism. I believe that there is but one God, and I trust that you believe that also. In fact, the Bible tells us that for anybody to go to heaven, there is just one way. There's one God, there's one Son that died for us, and He is the only way to heaven. In spite of the pluralism that exists in our own nation and society today, I'm here to tell you that God's Word tells us there's only one way to spend an eternity with God, and that's through the Son, Jesus Christ. But the people of Israel had been affected by the polytheism and the idolatry of the pagan nations around them, and they had fallen into sin, and also the practice of idolatry and 
other false religions. And so God is reminding His people that there is only one God. And our message today to a world is that there is only one way to heaven. Just a few weeks ago in August, I had a group with me from uh, South Carolina, and we were in, uh, in Easley, South Carolina, and we were down in the Yucatan Peninsula. There's something I always do when I take people with me from the States. When we are in the city of Medi, I'll take them to a cathedral that has been in, around for over 400 years. It's an old cathedral. It's a massive building. Thousands of people can fit in it. And as you go into that cathedral, I do this for a reason. I don't go to worship there, but I go in to show these people what other religions do and what they practice and and to see the futility of idolatry. There's idols all over this great, massive building. Different idols have different abilities. If you have financial woes, you go to this one idol and this saint, as they call it, it will help you with your financial difficulties. There's also a money box in front of it, and so you've got to put some money in there so that guy can be enabled to help you. And you, you have a child that's sick, and there's another idol, there's another saint, and she or he, whatever it is in that area, they'll help you as long as you put some money in there. And then there's another idol that'll help you if you and your spouse are having uh, difficulties in your marriage. There's a saint for every issue you may have in life. I watched as there was this one idol that was up on a pedestal And this idol was a female statue, a female saint, and she had her hands outstretched like this. In this particular idol, there were hundreds of ribbons that people would write prayers on. And they would take this ribbon then and they would go and they would drape it over the arms of this idol that were stretched out. They leave their prayers there, hoping that this particular idol, this saint, can answer their prayers. That idol gets so many ribbons put on it that they have to take them off and put them in another container behind the idol. And after a while, they just remove them completely because they're uh, 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 all the time filling this up with prayers. And I watched as a little Yucatecan lady, a little short Maya Indian woman, walked up there and she had her prayer and she wanted to put it on the arms of this outstretched saint. But see, she was short and she couldn't reach and so she tried to throw the ribbon up there and then didn't reach the arm and she threw it up again and missed and threw it up again. And So finally she get the ribbon and she held it like this and she started jumping. And she was so short she still couldn't reach and she kept on and on and on. I just stood there and watched And finally, after a long time, she was able to get that ribbon to catch. By then, she was out of breath, and she just collapsed on the floor. And her lips were moving as she was mumbling a prayer to a piece of stone that had ears but could not hear. Carved with such detail, there were lips and there was a mouth, but they never once responded. She was praying to an object that couldn't hear, couldn't respond, and couldn't do one thing to alleviate whatever agony there was in her life. That's what idolatry is, and that's what it does. In our own society, in our own country, we've fallen into the sin of idolatry. And no, we may not see the big idols along our streets and in buildings, but we have the idol of materialism and the idol of pleasure. And our people are totally, are totally given over to those things today. And so we need to preach the message, even in our own nation, that there is but one God and one way to heaven. 
But we go from the singular God to a plurality of people that we're to reach. Verse 6, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. And so the prophet gives this geographic image. He said, as the sun rises in the east, and then it goes down in the west, every people group, every nation that's under the influence of the shining of the sun needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you that every nation, every country, every race, every culture, every language, everybody needs Jesus Christ. There's no room for prejudice in God's work. There's no room for a bias in our evangelistic responsibilities. God's plan as we read the book of Revelation is that for eternity, every nationality will be represented in heaven as we worship God for all eternity. God's not biased. He's not prejudiced. It's amazing how we can become prejudiced and biased sometimes just by the way we live and the way we've been brought up. But there's no room for that in God's plan for reaching the world. Did you know that every culture has its issues with biases and prejudice. I grew up in a foreign country, went to school with kids in another place, and I, I would see this. But a few years ago, I was with some of our missionaries in the country of Venezuela, and to get to where they were working out in these villages, we had to get in a plane and fly for two hours. The other option was to get in a canoe and ride in the river for two weeks. I decided it was a whole lot easier just getting a plane and fly for two hours. So we're flying to the village where the Vernois were working with the Yaquana Indians and the pilot. It was, it was, uh, we were using the services of Mission Aviation Fellowship, MAF, and great guys down there and uh, became friends with several of these pilots. We were flying over the jungles, and he said, hey, Roy, he said, if you could see down there, he said, there's a plane in those trees down there. He said, I crashed that plane last year. It's still there in those trees. <laughs> I thought, well, thanks for telling me. You should have told me that after we got through with the trip. We made it this time, landed on the grass strip, and we were out there in this little uh, village working with the Yaquana Indians, and the Vernois lived there at that time. And across the river, all these villages, they live on um, rivers because the river is their source of water, it's their source of transportation, and it's a source of food. So all these villages in, those, in the Amazon there, they, they live by these rivers. So if you want to reach the villages, you've got to follow the rivers. This one strategically located village where our missionaries were working had a stream that fed into this river. So you had the, long, the big river, and then you had a stream that fed into it. And across the stream, there was another tribe, a different type of Indian. And I was amazed as we were working with these people. Well, there were people who lived in mud huts, I mean dirt for walls, Grass or thatch for a roof, dirt for a floor, no doors or windows except a board that would go over the opening that we would call a door. These were people that for the most part didn't even have clothes. They were just naked. So as I was talking with him through the missionary and he was translating for me and, I, and we were talking about what we were doing, I said, well, what about those Indians over there across the river, that village over there? What can we do to reach them? And one of the Indians spoke up and said, we don't want to reach them. I said, why? He said, those Indians stink. They don't take as baths often as we do. 
said, they stink, and he said, and they steal. They stink and they steal. <laughs> right there. So we're not interested in reaching them. And I was amazed that here I was working with a group of Indians that were poverty-stricken, lived on dirt floors, had no clothes, and yet these other Indians were worse than them. <laughs> you know, a bias and a prejudice can creep into any society, into anybody's life, but when it comes to reaching the world, there's no room for that in the church. There's no room for that in our mission program. When we often think about missions, we think about those villages I've just described, and there is a need to reach them. But can I tell you that one of the challenges as we face as we go from the rising of the sun to where it sets in the west to reaching all nations, one of the challenges we find is global urbanization. Most of the people in the world don't live in villages anymore. Listen to these stats I'm going to share with you today. In 1950, 30% of the world lived in urban areas. Only a third of the people of the world live in urban areas. Now, 54% of the world lives in urban areas. In other words, over half of the population of the world lives in urban metropolitan areas. That means if we're going to reach the world, we have to reach cities. In fact, the growth of cities is so fast now, the church is not keeping pace with the growth rate of the cities and the population. By 2050, 66% of the world, two-thirds of the world, will live in urban areas and metropolitan areas. The reason I mention that is because when we talk about missions in a church setting, we're often attracted by those that live in extreme poverty and don't have anything. And so, yes, they need Jesus. But did you know that the people that live in cities with electricity and streets and cars and running water and Internet, they need Jesus too? Because when this life is over, whether you lived in a hut or a city of millions with all the utilities that mankind has to offer, when this life is over, there's heaven and there's hell. It's more difficult to get people excited, though, about taking the gospel to the cities, but that's where most of the people of the world are today. Think about this. When is the last time we heard of a missionary going to Tokyo or Delhi or Shanghai or Mexico City or Sao Paulo? Let me give you some numbers. Tokyo today has 38 million people. That's just a little bit more than Hanahan, South Carolina, isn't it? 38 million people. Delhi in India, 25 million people. Shanghai in China, 23 million people. Mexico City has 21 million people. Mumbai, 21 million. Sao Paulo, 21 million. And we could keep on and on and on. Millions and millions and millions of people. By 2030, the world is projected to have 41 megacities with more than 10 million inhabitants. And they need Jesus Christ. I've got a blog that's going to come out here in the very, very soon, but uh, years ago I was preaching a conference in Mexico City, and we had a project for giving out uh, Gospels of John in Mexico City. And I just gave their population a few moments ago, uh, a second ago, uh, 21 million people. It's a massive city. It's just hard to comprehend how many, how you can get all those people packed into that one city. We were doing a gospel outreach in the daytime, and I was preaching a conference in a church at night, and there was a group from the States with us. In fact, there was one lady that was 72 years old. She went on this mission trip, and I remember when she got down there. I was already in Mexico City when the team got there, and I looked at them as they came off the plane through the airport, and I thought, 
now this 72-year-old woman, they brought granny. What did they do that for? I said, we're in Mexico City. It is a fast-paced life. And so we got to the hotel where we're staying, and uh, we were going to give out the Gospels the next day, and it's just a lot of work, a lot of walking, and people are moving fast, and you'll get run over if you're not careful. So I told the lady, I said, uh, you know, we're about to go out into this really big city. I said, why don't you just stay here and pray for us? <laughs> she stuck her finger in my face. She said, young man, in my church, they ask for people to come out here and give out God's word. I'm going, you can stay here and pray if you want to, but I'm going out there. I said, yes, ma'am. I'm your leader. Let me catch up with you, all right? And so she went out. She did a great job. But I remember on that trip, as we were coming back from where I was speaking one night, we had to go from the church to the subway station, from there to the bus, and then we would walk back to where we were staying. And as we were walking between the bus station and the subway station, here it was, 1030 at night, and you would have thought it was the middle of the day. Millions of people moving around. But by then, businesses were closed, and they had the steel curtains, as they do in Latin America. Oftentimes, the steel curtains were drawn so nobody could break in and steal the things in these businesses. And there were just rows of businesses now on this street that were closed, but a lot of people moving around in a city of millions. And as we were walking along, and we came by one business where they just closed the steel curtain, there was a woman that was sitting on the steps, leaning back against the steel curtain. And I never, I've never forgotten this sight yet. With one hand, she was covering up her eyes just like that. And with the other hand, she was holding it out. I don't know what had happened in her life, but her body was wasted. And she was saying, I need help. Necesito ayuda. I need help. And then she said something that I still can hear today. She said, Estoy sola en este mundo. Estoy sola y necesito ayuda. I'm by myself. There's nobody else to help me. I need help. I'm by myself. And she was surrounded by millions of people and all by herself. And that's why we need to go to the big cities and take the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have linguistic challenges. 50% of the world languages are still in need of completed Bible translations. There's such a great need. There are still 1,800 languages that need a Bible translation project to begin. 57% of the world's languages don't have completed translations, but one of the good things today is that through technology we're seeing that accomplished faster than ever. I know that just a few days ago you had an emphasis on this country, but let me mention a few things. Hispanics today are the largest minority in the United States. We dare not, we dare not let politics affect the church in reaching the world that's come to our shores. We let government take care of government business, but the church has to take care of the gospel business because industry is not going to take care of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and government's not going to do it. It's not their place to do that. It's our job to preach the gospel to everybody. Asia has replaced Latin America as the biggest source of new immigrants. You may not see it in your society, but overall in this country, that's true. 14% of our population today is foreign-born. Did you know that in the last six weeks, listen, in the last six weeks, I've preached over 20 nationalities in this country, not outside of this country, in this nation right here. And I've preached over 20 nationalities in this country. The world has come to us, and the church 
needs to be excited about that because we have an opportunity to be engaged in missions without even purchasing a passport. Once again, we let government take care of the political issues and the church needs to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, we have a great task. We could go on with many statistics, but I want to finish today by reading something that to me is exciting as I look at these two verses. If you go to the last phrase of verse 5, where God said that He is the Lord and there's no other, there's no other God, He says, I equip you, though you do not know me. Cyrus, king of Persia, was about to conquer Babylon, which had been a very big, strong nation. And what God is saying, Cyrus, you don't even know me, but I'm equipping you. You think that it's your wisdom. You think it's your abilities that have brought you to the place you are. He says, I've equipped you because I'm using you as part of my plan. So he said, I equip you, though you do not even know me. In verse 7, he says, I form light and create darkness. You say, what does that have to do with missions? We've just been given a task that's monumental, to go to every people group that's under the influence of the sun from the east to the west. That's all the world. There's over 7 billion people in the world today. And we look at ourselves at Highland Park Baptist Church in Hanahan, South Carolina, and say, wow, Roy, that's a big task. How in the world can we reach out? How can we as a church reach out? Well, we take the same thing that God told Cyrus. I equipped you for this great task. And we apply that to the Great Commission, and here's what we realize. That God's given us a great task, but He is a great God, and He's the great provider. The job that you have today is given to you by God, and He gives you the ability to work. And God entrusts you with resources. And as all believers together, we take what God has given us and then we give so that God's work can be done. We can reach our great world. God is going to require two things of us for us to fulfill the Great Commission. First of all, that personnel be given. Where do missionaries come from? It's easy to look at the Bible colleges and say, well, they come from the Bible college. But missionaries will come from a local church just like this right here. Every time I come to church, this is my first time ever to be with you folks, so you don't know me and I don't know you. But I look over a congregation like this and I say, wow. God wants to call somebody from a church just like this to go to the mission field. For a month, you've had missionaries come to you and speak here and it's always somebody coming from somewhere else. But what if God reached down in this congregation and called somebody? Wouldn't that be great? That means it would be maybe one of your kids, one of your families, one of your children, nephews, nieces, grandchildren. But oh, what a blessing and what an opportunity. God wants us, the church, to provide the personnel. He has equipped us so that we can give Him the personnel and then the resources. When I give my offering 
and I view it as a singular offering to the Lord, I say, what in the world will my offering do in a world of 7 billion people? But here's what God does. He takes my giving, your giving, your giving, and your giving, and just the way Jesus took from a little boy 2,000 years ago some pieces of bread and two little fish and multiplied that in thousands ate, God can take your gift, your gift, your gift, my offering, and he puts it together, and we can reach the world. I've encouraged you today to think about going with me, and your pastor has encouraged you to think about going with me to Project Yucatan and be involved with the trip. In 1980, my father-in-law, who is a missionary in the Caribbean, came over to visit us, and uh, he had great news. For years, my father-in-law had been buying Gospels of John for five cents apiece, and we were using those in different places of Latin America. And he had a friend in Florida, Basil Swells, that would contribute heavily to that project. My father-in-law came over to see me, and he said, Roy, he said, I've got some good news, and I've got some bad news. He said, I went to see Basil Swells before coming to visit you guys. I came through Florida, and Basil was in the hospital dying. He said, I, I told Basil Swells, I said, Basil, I'm going down to see Roy and Edie down in the Yucatan Peninsula, and one of the needs they have is more Gospels of John for their evangelistic outreach. And Basil Swells said, I, I don't have long left, but I want to give one more offering. And so he was in his hospital room, and he said, Russell, to my father-in-law, he said, if you'll go over there to the drawers they've got in this little room, he said, my clothes are in one of those drawers. He said, I need you to go over there, and between my clothes, you're going to find my checkbook. He said, well, why is it hiding in there? He said, well, I've had to hide it. He said, my children don't know the Lord like I do, and they know that I give to missions, and so they were wanting to hide my checkbook. He said, I found one book of checks they didn't have to hide from me, and he said, I want to write you a check, and he wrote a check for $5,000 and gave it to my father-in-law. He said, you buy Roy Gospels of John, and so we got thousands of Gospels of John for our project. Two weeks later, he went out into eternity. That was his last mission offering. So in 1980, we had all these Gospels of John, and I was giving them out one day, and I, I had these young people that go with me every Saturday. We'd go out, and there was 16 this one Saturday, and I had a pickup truck, so that was all I had, so they'd all climb in the back, we do things down in Latin America you don't do here in the States, or at least you're not supposed to do here in the States. And so I had 16 young people and all these boxes of literature, and we went off to where we were going to go, and everybody went out in their area. And I found myself alone on the street giving out Gospels of John and on dirt road. And um, by 10.30 that morning, it was hot. I mean, here we are in the tropics. It was August. My clothes were literally drenched with sweat and perspiration. There was no more paved street. I was on a dirt road. And uh, they have the most ferocious dogs in these little huts. You look at them and you think, dog, you died two months ago and you just don't even know it yet. <laughs> here these dogs are still, and I mean, they're ferocious. They're meaner than anything you've got up here. They're protecting their turf and we're going out trying to give out gospels and those dogs are after us. And By 10.30, I said, what in the world am I doing out here. I had already been cursed at. Dogs are trying to bite my leg off. And uh, I looked back. My truck was about half a mile away already. 
So I said, I'm going to walk back. I got to go get a Coca-Cola. And I started walking back, and it was like the Holy Spirit just said, don't, don't go back yet, because I had more literature, and there were more houses down the street. I must have walked 100 paces with that constant nagging, don't go back yet. Have you ever had that happen? And after 100 paces, I stopped, turned around, went back to where I'd stopped, and took up giving out Gospels. Six weeks later, I got a coupon because every Gospel of John had a coupon for a free Bible study course. I got a coupon from a house. And I told Edie, let's get in the pickup truck and go find this address. And I found myself right beyond the spot where I had quit. And if I had never gone back, I never would have reached this house. The people that were there were so hungry for the Gospel that we ended up staying five hours that day answering their questions. They said, you have to come back. The next visit was four hours. The next visit was four hours. Manuel and Carmen gave their lives to Christ, were saved, were baptized, began to grow in the Lord. God called Manuel to preach. And if you were to go with me next year to work in Project Yucatan, you'll meet Manuel because he has been pastoring now for almost three decades himself, serving the Lord down there. As a result of a Gospel of John that was purchased, by the last offering that Basil Swells gave before the Lord called him home. God says, Cyrus, I equip you. I'm going to give you the resources to do what you're going to do. And he tells us, I'm going to give to you. And now he tells us we have an opportunity to invest in this great task of world evangelism. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Help us to be Available for whatever you want. If you need to call people from this church, what a blessing that would be. Help all of us to be willing to give of the resources we have so we can reach this world. I pray in your name. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have any questions or want to know more about having a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact us online at hpbc.church. Please join us again next week as together we seek to know Christ and make Him known.